All right, welcome to a new episode of Growing Down. Uh, I'm Matt Hedkins, and today's guest is Brent Cooper. Brent, some, uh, welcome to the show, and thanks so much for being on here. Thank you. Good to be back. Awesome. So Brent has graciously uh, decided to, to join this show. Um, I told him I, I wasn't really sure where to go with it, but um, for all the listeners out there, um, Ryan has moved on with a different project and Jeremy is engaged in, in, in multiple projects at the times. And I was wanting to continue to be politically active somehow. And this is really the format I know best as far as reaching out to other folks who are engaged to find out how they are staying engaged, how they are staying politically active. So the main gist of this podcast is hopefully just to put some closure on growing down. I have no idea what the future looks like, um, but also to question sort of in the times in between elections, how do people stay politically active, engaged? So uh, Brent, again, thank you so much for being on. And, and maybe we could just riff a little bit on that. You know, when we're not engaged in sort of election cycles, how, how do you stay politically engaged? Yeah, that's a good question. It's been really difficult. There's been a lot of interesting post-Bernie analysis, you know, that um, from different groups, but kind of using that same phrase. And so I think this is, you know, just like within election cycles, outside of election cycles, I think it's critical to like build coalitions, build solidarity, build consensus. And there's a lot of fragmentation on the left right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm I'm all for whatever we can do to to uh, contain that. Um, I, I myself, you know, uh, like and I, I like growing down. I like being a part of it. But but I guess it has a natural kind of transition into our other projects and we're all going to keep working together. But my point is, um, there's a lot of left channels that I admire, but I've had to kind of check out, check out of like stop. Mm-hmm. listening to because they're sort of just going in circles and so um, we are in this moment of being stuck there's a lot of right-wing reactionary stuff happening in the world and it's it's just confusing people further pu- pulling more people to the right whether they know it or not you know this is what led to trumpism in the first place and it's it's an extension of that it's maintaining this kind of post-truth kind of era that we're stuck in so so the so the 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 task the chore if you will for everybody is to you know try to de-escalate themselves and each other and, and try to try to learn you know adopt an attitude of patience and learning and and generally switching directions if you're being pulled to the right start following some leftists get pulled to the left and and that's not to say just get sucked down any kind of leftist rabbit hole because there are traps mm-hmm. But, you know, this is this is why I've worked with you guys on a kind of integral left. We're still trying to sort of um, liberate, if you will, people from the sort of hegemony of of integral thought, of, of mainstream integral thought that uh, that results in a lot of thought terminating, thought terminating cliches. So, yeah, this is a moment to continually learn to not to disengage from politics but to uh, kind of prepare for the opportunity right just like some of us were prepared for the emergence of bernie and and seized on that moment we need to prepare for the next critical moments and and really try to win you know nina turner 
lost her bid for uh was it senate um she was a senator in the past but she was running uh, a couple years ago for something and that was because the left was tearing itself apart in the post bernie uh moment Mm -hmm. and so and so you know she didn't get the support she needed and and uh, similar for, for different reasons with uh, Shahid Buttar, who was trying to replace Nancy Pelosi, right? Mm. Like uh, whatever problems with Sh- Shahid uh, Buttar there are, anybody's better than Nancy Pelosi, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I think, I think um, you know, and, the, and, and the, the squad comes under fire a lot. Yeah. But I think we just need to hold fast. And, and, and definitely like kind of reject the status quo as much as possible and, and keep keep pushing for these down ballot elections to replace these these fossils that, that won't leave their seats of power. And, and definitely on a smaller scale between us, you know, build build solidarity and consensus about what politics is and should be at the end of the day. What it is, is the art of kind of persuasion and negotiation of of, of control for sociality and governance. And it's also tied to economics and that struggle for resources. But we're also thinking in a post-politics kind of way, uh, kind of a post-scarcity sensibility even. Mm-hmm. And so, and so, you know, we just need to keep our uh, eyes on the prize in a sense of this kind of um, open politics of kind of, kind of absolute social policies like healthcare and education which we can have really absolute benchmarks for mm. like, like literacy should be a hundred percent, right? Why, why would you aim for anything less than a hundred percent? Homelessness should be 0%, <laughs> you know, and that's, that's how we can depoliticize these topics yeah. and hopefully take back control of the discourse and, and build, build power for a left politics to actually achieve systems change not just like uh, you know the right constantly thinks that the left is already in power mm-hmm. and, and controls culture and controls the discourse and, and that's just not true it's just a lot of there's a lot of um very free art you know films and commentary that uh that would lead people to think that Mm-hmm. But in truth, we live in very conservative times, a lot of austerity economically, and that just that's hurting everybody. So, yeah, I hope that, that I hope that's a good, a good answer to, to build off. There's a couple of things I wanted to pull out there. I know you, you've talked about when you mentioned the integral sort of mainstream. Are you what exactly are you thinking there? Are you are you kind of talking about how some integral thinkers are, can still be split politically on the spectrum in, in that regards or something different? Yeah, I've tried to be really clear and consistent on this. You know, I think Wilbur is politically illiterate and, and he can't take criticism, mm. which reinforces this kind of cult of personality and and kind of, kind of too much uh, tiptoeing around him if he's interviewed. You know, and then so that reinforces the the do- dominant culture and the different integral groups like integral global on Facebook and, and different integral groups. I just think it's very clear they're dominated by reactionary or conservative or heterodox thinking as opposed to left or socialist thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very clear to me through Hanzi metamodernism, through other approaches to metamodernism that, that those are just obstructive forces mainly 
whether we need to win people over, win, win Wilbur over, get him to change, or or whether we just need to to keep critiquing those people. I'm not really sure what the solution is exactly for integral, mm-hmm. but I have no problem associating myself with an integral left and the integral Marxism of Michael Brooks, for example. So, so yeah, if we're going to, you know, I think we we do have a, du- a duty to some extent to to carry this term forward um to honor the legacy of it but to um not just rehabilitate the politics but completely transform the way integralists writ large think about think about politics and think about de- debate and consensus mm-hmm you talked about uh, Michael Brooks, and, and I was hoping you could talk a little bit about your project that you hope to maybe uh, rejuvenate maybe some of his ideas and projects. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, my project has always been <clears throat> very abstract, hence the, hence the name, which is to say, you know, striving for universal policies, striving for distil- distillation of concepts and discourse Um, and it really my project as a think tank uh, and as a media kind of project dovetails with with the Hanzi project and it also dovetails with the Michael Brooks project and there's there's an explicit explicit reinforcement of all those things explicit kind of mutual mutual support and so you know Michael Michael Brooks's project is very difficult to kind of kind of kind of uh, emulate uh, but but there's various threads that I want to try to stay connected with like left reckoning for example and majority reports to the extent that they're they're both part of that family they're they're both still connected to that legacy very closely and and you know what 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 I don't do and what I'm unable to provide that that they provide is kind of a movement analysis, uh, kind of a <clears throat> meta narrative mm-hmm. about social movements and and alter globalization, um, and just just um, that has to be kind of given you know we have to give voice to it kind of consistently kind of day in day out week in week out you know and i was just talking uh, with other people earlier about what's happening in latin latin america <clears throat> you know it's been referred to as the pink tide mm. and so i think this is like the second pink tide actually it's kind of a, a second cycle of it and so you know we need to have literacy and solidarity with these political movements and really you know, if we're going to critique other movements, we need to depoliticize and de, you know, decomplexify, them. for example, like all of these anti-mandate protests. They think they're patriots. They think they're in the right. <clears throat> but in fact, from a, from a relatively objective analysis, these are astroturfed movements, which basically means they're funded by dark money and also they're 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 using anecdotal quotes and and kind of influence from from different from different fringe people to say that it's actually representative of larger population sentiments <clears throat> and that's not true in the first sense but then it 
it does become a persuasive meme. Like if somebody says that and it's, it's, it's persuasive, it's like, oh, this is a, this is a worker movement. I'm going to hop on board. Mm -hmm. But then what you're really doing is you're, you're, you're involving yourself. You're implicating yourself with movements that, like I said, are astroturfed. They're funded by dark money. And they're associated with, uh, with fringe white nationalist and neo-Nazi and hyper-masculine groups. So we need to be able to um, like articulate that because there's, you know, there's people we know and that we're close to that are still, that are getting sucked into that or getting sucked into anti-woke movements. Like, like they still, you know, day to day believe and argue with people that there's a there's a woke conspiracy and it's just all the all the blue-haired trans people are gonna like be totalitarian fascists and that's you know couldn't be further from the truth so so we need to be able to um you know i think be 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 the sharp end of the wedge that that splits that that's you know not just breaks that discourse but catches the pieces as they as they fall um, helps helps people deconstruct. What do you think helped, or what do you think Michael Brooks did well to capture sort of the audience that he did? I mean, you you tied on it a little bit, <clears throat> bringing in some meta narratives, and I I think he was also a pretty charming person, so he was very entertaining and stuff. But for the little that I did watch, it was also very informative. And what I find right now is sort of a vacuum, maybe on the left. I mean. And not even because I know when you say the left, people will think CNN, but I mean, mm -hmm. informative mm -hmm. sort of platform in which, you know, I find myself in part of this conversation is to how do you stay politically engaged when there are times where you just you're tired of that battle of left versus right. You just want to kind of escape from it. And so I guess for you, how do you uh, multiple questions? How do you stay sort of do you ever want to escape from politics or do you really think? This is your path as far as where you could do the most good in the world. I do want to uh, abandon it sometimes. And I do periodically, you know, I, I look at these political commentators that I, that I like, not, not, the, not, not the reactionary pundits like Ben Shapiro or Tucker Carlson. Um, they do it for the money right mm -hmm. they're they're committed because it serves them every day. But I look at people like Sam Cedar, or, you know, whoever it may be. And I'm like, how do you do it? How do you do this grind day in, day out, just kind of trying to counter fake narratives and trying to grow your audience? It's, it is exhausting and it is depressing. And, and maybe because they're invested in their path, they don't have the luxury to take a break mm -hmm. um, so, so much. But, but I, I do kind of come in and out of it because because you can't be doing politics all the time. Like, like everything's political, you know, David Hartful Jr. Put it really well on growing down podcast. Um, but, you know, if I, if, you know, when I go do research, go do sociology or, you know, history or political science kind of research, like you're doing that, you're doing that. There's always a political angle to it and a, a way to relate it to today, but, but we want to kind of be objective and, do good work that, that depoliticizes um, so, so we can, so that when that research is um, available, that it can hopefully be influential. But yeah, I don't have a simple answer, but I'll say about Michael Brooks, like what made his, his 
show and his uh, breadth amazing is like, like I watched him on majority report as the co-host for years, for a couple of years before he spun off his own show. Mm-hmm. And so having, having that balance between um, Sam Cedar and Michael Brooks was an excellent contrast, you know, because they did represent a much wider political frame, a sort of mainstream radical liberal, let's say with Sam Cedar and then kind of a, kind of a mainstream radical leftist with, with Michael Brooks, right? They both had broad appeal and they could contrast each other and be constructive. And then, and then, so Mike, the tone of Michael's show was, was very different in that sense. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm not sure where, where else, where else to take that to yeah. address that point. Yeah. Well, I know just currently, you know, it's, you know, I, with the hopes of kind of joining some integral folks and kind of everyone kind of doing their projects, my ideal situation would be that we would kind of continue on sort of, I mean, I know when I joined integral discord and, and the integral group, I've learned a lot in the process, uh, you know, introduced to d- different ideas. And the hope for me was to continue to sort of expand these d- ideas. And what I've kind of seen is a, and, and you have your own Discord group too, but it's like a continuing fractioning, fractioning where everyone has their own little coven almost. And it's hard to find, well, where is the hub that so many, if, if there are group, you know, that thinks similarly on these ideas, how can you continue to engage in that and expand? And what I've only seen is a continuing fraction fraction you know and it doesn't it doesn't feel like there's any coherence happening and and that's my frustration with politics in general is that you know how how do you can how do you how does this generation engage in what is in their best interest find other like-minded fellas and, and continue to learn and and maybe i'm not allowed in the club but it definitely seems like there's there's a vacuum out there that that I don't know if, if your, you know, project can, can sort of fill that need, but it, it, it definitely feels just that everyone's doing their own thing and, and there is no connecting pieces to it. And I, I don't know if you have a reflection on that, but it was definitely where I was at when I sort of extended an invitation to you to see if you were interested in doing this. Um, do you have any, and, and, and do you have any thoughts on that or is that? Yeah, I do. I do. I mean, I agree with what you're saying and I, I don't want to reproduce the problem. Yeah. I don't want to create yet another differentiated space. Mm-hmm. And that, that's been my intention going back seven years with this project. Right. And that's part of the paradox of why it's hard to start and hard to define what I'm trying to do. And that's why, you know, <clears throat> while I've continued with my work, I've not really tried to community build over the last, um, uh, five years because I've been involved in Hansi's community and I was involved in the Michael Brooks community, which was really my, the, you know, the, my kind of, my kind of hub to participate in the Bernie Sanders movement. Right. Yeah. And so, and, and so there's lots of other spaces I followed and checked out, but those, those were my priorities. And, and I still think there's a need for kind of an autonomous 
abstract organization that uh that that gives gives other people a home and also helps enable the work that i'm trying to do on a larger scale yeah um, <clears throat> so yeah like i i have no i have no illusions or pretenses about that if it's not meant to work um but there's there's a general need to um be influential to connect other spaces to to help them synthesize and integrate into a into a bigger picture and to have meta theory mm-hmm. and and to be able to um you know influence and critique spaces that are making mistakes and predictable mistakes and andres bernal who's been on growing down mm-hmm. right you know he just tweeted today about um the 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 um what's it called the mpp the the people's party um you're familiar with what i'm talking about i don't know the people's party is that a u.s yeah it was it was let me pull up the tweet it was it was a post bernie thing right it spun off um from from that god damn it the working families party that seemed to be kind of a thing gaining momentum and, and still I see pop up here and there. So <clears throat> um, so Nick Branna was the was the head of the People's Party and it involved I think people like uh, Nina Turner and Cornell West possibly. Mm. And it was a lot of Zoom calls over the summer of 2020 and a lot of movement building. And and uh, you know some of us were either disinterested or we recognized that it was not going to work or it was shallow politics. And so uh, stuff has been leaking about that. And Andres was tweeting about it. And he says, this was the inevitable outcome of an incoherent, shallow politics that some of us noticed years ago and tried to warn you all about. (laughs) And and I retweeted him immediately. And I also replied and said, yeah, I think this is kind of the flip side of Brett Weinstein's Unity 2020 Mm. political ambitions. And that was all that was that was more crazy, to be sure. Uh, but but what I mean is that they're both kind of counterpoints of each other that siphoned off political energy and and and, and uh, reproduce that fragmentation. And so, you know, and, and so that the MMT community, right? They're still they're still pushing. They're still struggling to kind of garner influence and 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 build solidarity. But I think they're correct. I think their their metaphysics and their their normative policies are are correct mm-hmm. uh, and so and so i think we that's you know this and metamodern stuff is what we need to center and and build off of and, and try to attract these other groups trying to trying to you know start start a follow, follow the leader kind of movement um just to be like i said be able to take critique yeah and 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 be able to um very quickly and reflexively respond to critique and to the moment, right? So if the if the People's Party was doomed from the start, <laughs> right? Maybe it, it should have known better. It should have it should have uh, anticipated this. It's the same thing with uh, the Current Affairs magazine kind of uh, coming apart as as it did last fall. Um, so. Well, it seems like when you have mm-hmm. Nick Turner and Cornel West, I mean, those are two people that have been part of Bernie's kind of campaign. Mm-hmm. 
And I, I think the time around election is always whether or not you want to splinter what is sort of a, you know, you know, you kind of pick your poison if, if at that time, if you want Biden or, or Trump not to go back to that election. But I wonder why that party just didn't gain steam. I, I don't know too much about it, but you would think the ideas that they were backing would be similar ideas to what Bernie had. So it'd be interesting to know why that didn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they I'm just reading here. It's the movement for People's Party. And, and they did try to draft Bernie and, mm -hmm. and Bernie declined. Right. So mm -hmm. it was essentially a third party. But that to, was pre-election, pre right? I think it was after the primary. Right. So it was a general election kind of thing. Like, let's draft Bernie to be this third party candidate as yeah. opposed to as opposed to endorsing Biden. Yeah. Right. And Bernie made his own decision there. And so. Um, so, you know, consequently, it, it, it's a failed thing and there was lots of internal uh, contradictions that that contributed to to its failure <clears throat> so and a, and a lot of the mmt people you know they're like well we need to move on from bernie and that's a tough kind of black pill to swallow if you will but uh but but there's some truth to that and you know that doesn't mean forget about him and his contributions or work against him yeah but it means, you know, we have to continually be reflexive and, and um, you know, really, I think, uh, you know, that we're, there's a certain commitment definitely to whether it's MMT or metamodernism, you know, because these are much deeper meta theories to begin with. And, and they're, they're actionable, you know, they, they like, uh, like MMT dovet like it it, it 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 folds right back into itself and says well we're going to use this to fund the green new deal and medicare for all right mm -hmm. so it's not abandoning any of that it's it's um, it's leaning into it but um that is to say like you know the the kind of meta narrative that that bernie um kind of uh led and that we all kind of contributed to that 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 failed for more reasons than just opposition. We we need to continually reinvent ourselves. Um, however however that may come, I I happen to think it it has to come through a lot of convergence and consensus building. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting why I understand that I was actually I think people were split on this. You know, as far as I was not in favor of Bernie splitting off pre-election to create his own party, but following it seems to make a lot of sense to see there was a lot of energy and momentum that was behind Bernie. And I understand, but why can't I don't know why he wouldn't put his foot into that, uh, you know, platform rather than continue to fight these battles that we just see them losing over and over again. Um, it's it is very frustrating. I think with all those ideas too, to have, you need a face, you need someone you can, a spokesperson, a head person that you can kind of look up to that identifies, who can speak to sort of plainly about what these ideas mean. Um, and that's where I think the common person, the lay person can't become politically engaged because it, I mean, if you try to, it, it, it's enough to kind of, you want to bang your head against the wall 
to, to try to follow a all the disinformation that's going on and then to find any sort of tangible sort of solid thing that you can put your hope into. And, you know, I think that's the frustrating part with most politics is that it doesn't speak to them. And the ideas that you do kind of hear just if you're, you know, turning on the news or whatever are ideas that they're just recycled and they're the, they're, they're the same continued sort of, you know, cartoonish, you know, left versus right stuff that if you're intelligent enough to see through it, there's really no energy there to do anything other than pick a side and, and join the fight, which I'm not sure what's very generative about that, you know. Yeah, and it's it's very tough for sincere leftists, let's say, because because I'm I, you know, not not to open a can of worms uh, right now, but Michelle Bowens and Jim Rutt, you know, on Facebook every day, every day, they're just like the left this, the left that, and like the wokesters and the the woke, you know, and it's like, well, do you want to talk about it? And they're like, no, it, I already know everything. <laughs> You know, it's just so like close-minded and and hegemonic, and so they don't uh, identify as right, do they? They don't. They don't identify as right. They identify as you know left-leaning, but they think uh, the they think the woke. You know, they think there's this big leftist social justice conspiracy, yeah. and this is a right-wing talking point. This is a yeah. set of right-wing talking points, and so you know, I I hate sounding like a broken record, but this is just the truth. It's a lot of the memes that they're circulating it's not like they're left there's it's not like they're leftist memes and they're like being oh look at this leftist such an idiot they're memes created by far right people or at best like like just like disgruntled centrist liberals who are heterodox yeah right creating these memes they're anti-left memes Uh oh doggy just knocked over the bongo yeah he did he's upset too about all this damn yeah, I, I just took him for a walk i don't know what his problem is um but but um well, you know yeah doesn't have anything to attack they have no platform that's mm -hmm, mm -hmm, I see. Mm -hmm. uh, other than yeah. continue to you know keep whoever funds their their campaigns and, and keep them in power mm -hmm. just a constant you know, how can we attack the left, et cetera. I saw, I think something today that they were interviewing Ted Cruz and, you know, his, the quote was, you know, the worst thing or regarding Putin, the worst thing that, um, how was it phrased that, you know, Biden getting power was the worst thing for Putin. And it was just like, you know, how can, like, what do you want me to do with that? Like, mm -hmm. anyone who's, kind of engaged in, in sort of current events and political affairs, like just to see that shit over and over, it just makes yeah. mm -hmm. you want to just disengage from the whole fucking thing. Yeah. And, and, you know, like you said about CNN, you know, they, they think CNN is the left, you know, I, I got into a Twitter spat with, with, uh, with a far right person just the other day. Uh, <laughs> I, I said that uh, the New York times and Washington post are anti-left they're, they're very much centrist and, you know, kind of mixed bag, but not good in general. You know, it's a general problem with mainstream media and the, the editors of these mainstream media outlets. But but this guy could not be convinced. He was just like, oh, they're so leftist, you know, they're, they're so leftist. And so, you know, 
a general problem that's very hard for us to overcome is the mainstream media still. And, and, you know, yeah, you know, um, people across the spectrum have their critiques and reservations, but we were still not connecting over those, right? Like there's, there's still a lot of confusion. So, ah, it's so tough. Times, Washington Post, socially liberal, Mm-hmm. Because they are, if you compare it to, you know, other sort of media sites, you, you would definitely agree they're socially liberal, right? Like, yeah, socially liberal, economically conservative, we can say. And, you know, I, 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 I tweeted last week, there's something called the open closed political spectrum. Okay. And in one sense, this maps perfect to left, right, like left politics is more open, right politics is more closed. But in some ways, it's orthogonal to each other. Right. And just like you just said, they can be socially liberal, but they're economically conservative. So so we have to keep that tension in mind that it's that, that it's a really salient way to map it. But it can also be paradoxical. Yeah. And ah. well, I, I saw another one, Brent, too, that talked about, you know, to continue to fight the cultural war, you, you're missing the class war. And so going back to like, when, so just, you know, for the listeners here, when you talk about economically conservative, and there does seem, I mean, people in power, people who are wealthy, aren't just going to give that up and don't want to give that away. And, and you have these mainstream media sites, CNN, Washington Post, you know, New York Times, definitely socially liberal, give up that, but they have no interest in, in, in money going away from the top. And that seems to be the real battle that isn't being discussed, although you see it all all the time now with inflation and inequality and the rich getting richer with the pandemic and stuff. Mm -hmm. I guess the question is, is what can the average person do other than stay informed and maybe, you know, being aware of what's happening in Latin America is perhaps helpful. But, you know, is there anything that the average person can do that? identifies with those at the bottom of the pyramid, so to speak, and just want a little bit more, you know, mm-hmm. distribution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I wanted to, to make a, make a, a, another point first, just to, yeah. to, to qualify what we're saying about these, about these uh, mainstream institutions being socially liberal. They are, but they also publish socially conservative opinions a lot, a lot. Right. And this is the, so should should they not publish? Are you saying they publish them or promote them? They they do both. And what yeah. they do is they they create a false equivalence, right? They like so if a, if there's a leftist opinion piece, they'll counter it with a right opinion, a right wing opinion piece. Mm-hmm. And they say, this is just what it is. This is how debate yes. works. Yes. But it's so dishonest, right? It is so fundamentally dishonest. Like, I don't want to censor conservatives, right? Yeah. But they but, but they publish stuff that is just wrong they publish stuff that should not pass editorial muster right and then so because of their political perspective or because the information in the editorial is false um i think it's a little bit because of their biases it's also a little bit because of ignorance quite frankly and Mm -hmm. and because of the stature and the staying power of some of these liberals right whether it's david brooks or connor friedesdorf like these people are just so insistent 
on advancing their own careers and, and, and staying in the spotlight as opinion makers, but they are the most bland kind of moderate reactionary voices that, that uh, keep inflaming the tension between the social liberal opinions and the right, the right wing kind of social conservative opinions. And so I just wanted to qualify what we're saying. It's not clear cut that they're socially liberal and economically conservative, but it's, uh, it's worse. It's much worse than that. Yeah. And so to your question about what average people can do, and with respect to this question of class versus culture, intersectionality is a, is a core concept. It has to stay in there. And a lot of anti-woke people reject intersectionality, right? And, and all that, like in the simple sense, all that means is that class and race and gender um, and, you know, are, are, are um, overlapping and, and, and uh, co comorbid to various extents. They're intersectional. Con and this is a conceptual framework, right? It's not absolute. Have to remind people so much, like not to reify these concepts because you have, well, you have Oprah Winfrey, one of the most rich black women ever, right? Mm -hmm. But that's not indicative of, how, of the demographics of most black women, right? Mm -hmm. And so, so intersectionality has to be retaught and, and, and uh, you know, de-escalated around this concept. So the, so the average person does not just think about class or, mm -hmm. or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, I guess my, my hope maybe with your future projects and because I, I feel like I learn more when I'm discussing it with you and, and for folks that can share a little bit more light on seeing it from their own angles, because, you know, going forward, it's something I, I want to stay engaged with, but there's so many invitations to just say, fuck politics, you know, you just anarchism, post-punk politics, whatever it might be, just to get, you know, stay just sane in this world so. mm -hmm. I, I would i would urge people too to really really eschew and avoid the simplistic binaries of like big government versus small government for example like like libertarians conservatives are all like oh you know small government and like you said anarchism there's a, you know anarchism on the left and and the right but being, being anti-government in itself is such a anti-political attitude and such a counterproductive attitude because what we need to do rather, and it's not about having a big government, it's about having an effective government. It's about having the right size and the right like efficiency of productivity so that, because in Washington, D.C., right, like 99% of it is just politicking and kind of lobbying and you know sh sh shenanigans and malarkey and what we need is just an open functional abstract politics that connects the, the abstract and the concrete right and that recognizes with respect to this question like government has a role in fostering democracy in institutionalizing education and healthcare making that universally accessible of reforming the elections of of of, you know, including people in citizenry and, and, you know, this European concept of bildung, you know, citizen kind of cultivation and empowerment and personal development and uh, retreats and Let stuff like that. So, mm -hmm. 
we have the technological ability and do you think it's a good idea to do something like direct democracy where everyone has a vote and it's not a you know republican representative kind of idea but that there's a direct if you want to vote for this it's that sort of empowered i mean with with things like it's a slippery slope um, but i'd say with certain issues absolutely because medicare for all you have like 70% support cannabis legalization you have like 90% support it's like there should just be a referendum and legalize it you know with with other things you know uh direct democracy can go horribly wrong um california uh embraces a lot of di- direct democracy kind of uh, principles mm. um you know, a, a completely different example, uh, of course, and this isn't direct democracy, but like just democracy in general, like, you know, Hitler was democratically elected. Trump was democratically elected. So like democracy as an abstraction does not guarantee certain positive outcomes. Um, so so this tension between what should be direct democracy and what should be like heavily mediated democracy it's a very important question because i don't think uh, a lot of you know for a lot of issues the average person is not qualified to uh, to vote on directly yeah. and and actually brexit is a perfect example because it's like well we don't even know how to debate this so let's just throw it to the people and let's like gaslight those people and misinform them at the same time we're asking them to vote on this referendum you know yeah. you're, you're guaranteeing uh, the worst outcome Right. So it's a certain, you know, the example where, you know, the way our electoral college is set up, I believe he lost the popular vote, but the Mm -hmm. the system that was set up allowed him to be the presidency. I wasn't, I wasn't aware of the the Hitler example, but that's a good one too. Um, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And with, with Trump's election, a lot of people do want, do want to abolish the electoral system and just make it about the popular vote. So that is a, um, very democratic yeah and and i guess i'm for that just not because direct democracy is inherently better but because the electoral system is so rigged essentially right it's so it's it's already tilted towards towards um <clears throat> minority power. towards outcomes that serve special interests yeah yeah well um, I guess my my last question, Brent, for you is to think about like where do you go to stay politically engaged? Um, and obviously, we haven't even talked about the print and, and books that you would recommend. So, I, just to finalize, where, how is it you stay engaged? Where do you go? And any books that you would recommend off the top of your head, or that you're reading right now, that you think maybe fosters some of the ideas that that fuel kind of what you're thinking about these days. Nothing comes to mind. I think. Um... You know, we all we all know to an extent the the publishing industry has a lot of problems. It's dying. I think a lot of popular press books and a lot of popular intellectuals are kind of non-starters. You know, like it, it's good to read as much as you can, but I I read more shorter articles and book reviews than I do books. Um. And and I guess I can't recommend anything at this time because I'm trying to write my own books. I'm trying to sort of consolidate what I've written. 
and organize it and, and write more to, to make that into uh, a book that, that, that can stand the test of time. I, I would say in general with metamodernism, because this comes up a lot and a ton of people are still just partially informed, mm-hmm. read Hanzi and read Vermeulen and Vandenacker in tandem, read them both. And so many people don't do that. And so they just have no idea what, what they're talking about when it comes to a broader sense of metamodernism. And then, you know, of course, try to, try to read me, if you will, to how I try to triangulate around that. But in terms of, yeah, what's the latest, greatest kind of paradigm shift book? I'm not sure. I'm just, I, my, my kind of uh, reading list is, is full up of things that are coming out from modern monetary theory. <clears throat> and, and just, um, you know, I'm trying to do more talking and kind of production and trying to manage different uh, social media communities and narratives as, as my reading. Yeah. Well, I definitely, um, when we share this, I'll in the, in the description, do an invite for your discord group and look forward to your future projects. Cause I think there is a need sort of forming as far as with the ideas that you have uh, that you talked about in this uh, podcast. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. Um, Well, Brent, thanks so much for being on a guest on growing down. Thanks, Matt. uh, Yeah.